Father, as we come before you this morning, I pray that you alone would be our heart's desire. Sometimes with all of the things and the troubles and trials that have gone on in the last week, sometimes it's hard to come with the right heart attitude or a right attitude in our minds, prepared to worship you individually as well as corporately. But I pray that as we go into the most important time of any service, any biblical service, where we open up the Word of God and hear what you have to say to us, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged, that each one who has come here today would be able to leave from here today saying that we have seen the risen Christ, that it would remind us of our own failings and in areas where maybe we need to be changed this week to be more like Jesus Christ, that you would do so with the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. Thank you for those who are here today. And Lord, we know that there are several who are out sick today and maybe some who are out traveling or out due to work. We pray that you would encourage their hearts, help them to remember that you are the great physician and that you can bring healing in your timing and your will. For those who have to work, know that they can rest in you with you being our eternal Sabbath. For those, Lord, who have chosen not to be here today, we ask that you would convict their hearts with your Holy Spirit and they would see the, that they are missing out on not just being a blessing to others, but the joy of fellowshipping with those whom they have given a commitment to, to worship, to serve, to love, to follow you. May we do so with a great heart, knowing that this may be the last service, the last week that we have here on this earth. And if it is, we pray that you would help us to finish well. So we look at the passage this morning again in this fourth beatitude. Help us to hunger and thirst after righteousness so that we may be satisfied, so that we may have comfort. We ask all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And together all God's people said, Amen. We encourage you, if you're able to do so, to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. And as we are accustomed to doing, we are going to read verses 1, which is where Jesus is on the mountain. We are going to read from there down through our text this morning, which is verse 6. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And again, if you're able to stand, if you would join me, please, for the reverence of the reading of God's word this morning. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he, and we are, of course, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ here, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. May the Lord add his richest blessings to the reading of his word this morning. Thank you. You may be seated. Sterling? If you want to have somebody help you pass those out. 
We noted last week that the spiritual life in some regards is no different than the physical life. If you and I are not hungering and thirsting after the righteousness that only comes from Jesus Christ, then you and I are literally starving our souls to death. When a person is starving, they may not recognize the severity of the lack of nutrition that is within their body. But I can tell you that if you are starving, if you are not truly hungering and thirsting after the righteousness that comes only from Christ, you may not necessarily notice the severity of the lack of nutrition in your spiritual life, but it will reflect on the bride of Christ. It will reflect on others within the congregation. There's a little saying, maybe you've seen it. It, it's, it was very popular at one time. There was a, it was on bumper stickers, and, and I believe you can still buy it on mugs or uh, on uh, little signs that you can hang on your wall. And it says, seven days without prayer makes one week. W-E-A-K, one week. And that's very true. You see, the, the reason that God gave the church was for the building up of the saints, for the edification of the saints, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all come together as one mature person in Christ when we stand before him in glory. In the meantime, God has given the local church for us to be able to worship together, to serve together, to love together, to exhort one another, sometimes maybe even where necessary to be able to be the one who says, instead of being a stumbling block, I'm going to be the one who encourages you through the difficult times that you are walking through. If you do not recognize the fact that you are starving to death spiritually, it might be good to speak with somebody. Find somebody, as we have talked about. I know the ladies have talked about it in their meeting. The, the men have talked about it on a Thursday night. We have, we have talked about it and encouraged you as well in the doctrinal classes on a, a Sunday night as well as uh, on uh, the, the class which we actually have coming up this Saturday, which is the Master's Disciples class. And that is to have an accountability partner. Now, uh, the problem is that, that when we have an accountability partner, it can kind of be like when you go on a diet or when you go to the gym and you say, well, I want to I have an accountability partner. And then they call you up at 5 o'clock in the morning and they say, you're going to the gym? Well, yeah, well, you know, tomorrow. And we can struggle because we really don't want the pain, the struggles that comes with having to go and sweat and, and, and work the weight off. And then, well, one thing leads to another. Before long, you've missed an entire week. And then you've missed two weeks. And then you've missed an entire month. The things that I'm sharing with you, we talked about it in the Sunday school class, and I would encourage you, it will be on the, the, the it was live streamed this morning, and it will be on our uh, sermon audio later this afternoon. But I would encourage you to listen to that message that we brought, the teaching on why is the local church important? You see, the local church, one of the things that it helps you do is to be able to make sure that you are fed correctly. Now, I, I know we've got several young people here. 
How many of you young people, I want you to help me out here, okay? All the young people look up here. Well, the rest of you can look as well, but all the young people, okay? How many of you like candy? You guys don't like candy? Okay, there we go, a few of the older ones. Okay, how many of you like ice cream? Okay, everybody just about puts their hands up. Okay, how many of you like spinach? Well, that's fine. You can raise your hand. I love spinach. I love it with a little bit of vinegar on it. Yeah, it's really good. Okay, how many of you would rather have spinach than ice cream? Okay, there's a couple of you, including my daughter, who would rather have spinach than ice cream. We'll take care of her later. <laughs> Most people would rather have the sweet. But what happens if all you ever did was try to live off of ice cream? What would it do to you? It would make you sick. You would lose vital things that your body needs. Now, then you would have my son... We won't give Trenton's name, but one of my sons who says, well, there are a lot of people who live up in the Arctic Circle called Eskimos and the Inuit, and they live perfectly fine off of meat all day long and nothing else. I said, well, you can go live in Greenland then. But we have to have a balanced diet, right? A balanced diet in the spiritual life does not consist of picking up your Bible once a week and remembering or reading one single verse. Being a truly spiritual Christian, one who desires to have truth in the inward parts, it's going to take a lot of time to be able to get this word into your heart and into your mind, just like it does with me. We, we spoke about this in our doctrinal class, and I was sharing with those who came this last Sunday night uh, how many hours, let's see if any of you are listening, how many hours does it take approximately to make somebody proficient in a particular skill set or a particular, maybe you want to play an instrument or whatever, how many hours does it take? Does anybody remember? 2,000. 2,000, okay? To become an expert in that, they say, requires 10,000 hours, We find it, we don't find any difficulty whatsoever in talking about tithing to the church. Now, I don't believe that tithing is actually a biblical mandate for the New Testament Christian. I believe that we have what is called grace giving. But we talk about giving a percentage of our time. And I would challenge you this week to actually write down, keep a diary of how much time you actually spent with God or the things of God this week and see if it even comes up to 5% in a week. Now, just to give you a little bit of a heads up, there's 168 hours in a week and 10% of that would be 16.8 hours. So 5% of that would be 8.4 hours. That's over one full hour a day where you're not scrolling through Facebook, not watching YouTube, not watching the news, but actually spending time with God or with his people over one hour a day. Now, folks, I'm, I'm not asking you to do something that 
I have not also struggled with in my life in years past. But I can tell you the less time that you spend with God, with God's people, with his word, listening to the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you from his word, you are going to end up starving. I know what it's like to starve, and it's not pretty. You see, because then it affects all the other relationships in your life. It affects the relationship that you have with your spouses. It affects the relationship you have with your kids or your grandkids or your colleagues or, or the people that you go to school with. It's going to affect all of those relationships. It's also going to affect the relationship that you have with brothers and sisters in Christ when you're sitting on the same pews as them on a Sunday. If you haven't spent any time with God preparing your heart and studying and worshiping him, and then you come on a Sunday morning and it's 11 o'clock and we ask you to stand as we begin our worship and we're going to sing the praises of Zion and you're standing there and you're not singing. Or if, 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 if you don't want to know the words or you can't even be bothered to open up a hymn book, well, what does that tell other people that are around you? Are we telling them that we actually love God, that we actually love his word, that we actually want to sing these songs that, that have been deliberately picked out so that it brings our hearts and our minds closer to be able to worship? After all, we're going to be singing and being with Christ for all of eternity. Doesn't it behoove us to start right here? I encourage you to do a regular self-check to see how you respond to truth and sin in your life and in the life of others. Do you pretend that it is not happening just so that you can remain friends with the world? There's a hymn that says, give me, uh, um, oh, it's just gone. It's, it's a song we've sung it down through the years. Um, Maybe I'll, maybe I'll think about it, but it's, it's an, a reference to giving everything to Jesus instead of giving everything that we have, our strength, our heart, our mind to the world. And it's easy to do. You see, as we're, as we're walking this path and, and we're walking towards the cross and we're walking in the direction of eternal life and it doesn't take very much and out of the corner of our eyes, something from the world captures our attention. Next thing you know, or walking away. And then we wonder why our lives are falling apart. We wonder why we're struggling. How much does Christ mean to you this morning? Does he mean more to you than all the world? Some of us have been listening to Men Who Rock the World, and that's something I recommend to every one of you to listen to. But one of the ones that really spoke to my heart was the life of John Owen. And John Owen, when he was, some of you may remember better than I do, 22 or 23 years old, wrote 70, or Jonathan Edwards, sorry, wrote uh, 70 resolutions at the age of 22 or 23 of how he wanted to live his life. And you could sum up every one of those 70 resolutions with this one phrase, he lived with eternity in view. Some of us are more concerned about what's going on down here. We, we spend more time being concerned about the politics and who won and who didn't or who should have or who whatever. Who cares? Now, I'm not trying to be cruel to, to you, no matter which way you vote or whether you vote in another country. My mom and I, we're, we're both eligible to be able to vote in England. And we have voted in England for the one party or another. 
But folks, you and I have to remember that this world is not our home. We are just passing through. Our treasures are laid up. So that means that no matter what happens, look at these little young people here. Some of you are 60, 70 years of age, some 80. What happens when these young people reach 70, 80 years of age? What is this world going to look like then? There may not be any Republicans or Democrats in 80 years. You know, what if there's not even a United States of America in 80 years? God is still going to be sovereign and he's still going to be on the throne. And our purpose in life is to help encourage you and for you to encourage one another and for you to encourage me that no matter what tomorrow brings or what today brings, that we are prepared for eternity. You see, because eternity is coming, whether you and I like it or not. So again, as we go into this beatitude this morning, this fourth beatitude, what does Christ mean to you? Does he mean more to you than all the world? We could sing, give me all the world, or we could sing, give me Jesus. What is it that you long for this morning? What do these words that Christ is sharing mean to us today, this fourth beatitude. Again, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be, what is the word? Satisfied. When we sit down and we have a good meal, we've been over several of your homes different times, or you've been over to ours, or we have fellowships downstairs, and after a while, you, you, you get a big plate of food and you sit there and they say, no, go ahead, please eat up. Would you like some more? Go out into the kitchen, help yourself. And it's like, oh man, no, I, I just can't eat anymore. And then they say, well, we got brownies. I'll take one. <laughs> and you know what the problem is? We get satisfied on the food on, and we can eat as much as we can. Now, young people, they're a little bit different. We've got our grandson here. That young man is never satisfied. Anybody want to keep him for a week or provide some groceries, you're welcome to do so. But we get to the end of a meal and he's like, can I have some more? 30 minutes later, can I have some more? Because he's a growing young man. In like manner, you and I should be so hungry. We, we, we heard that song, as the deer pants for the waters. You and I should be panting for the word of God just like a deer pants for the waters. Because there's nothing else that brings satisfaction other than the word of God. After all, 2 Peter 1, 3, we've said this before over and over and over again, but the word of God is good for all that pertains to life and godliness. And we either believe that and we practice that or we don't. I just want to recap the blessed person. What is this blessed person that he is speaking about here? We've got a total of eight, nine different times in these first 11 verses that Jesus uses this term blessed to be a blessed person. Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 29 says, Happy are you, O Israel. Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your triumph? Your enemies shall come fawning to you and you shall tread upon their backs. 
We mentioned it this morning, Psalm 116, verse, I believe it's verse 13 or 14 says, what shall, or verse 12 says, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits towards me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Psalm 107, verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Have you been redeemed from the hand of the enemy this morning? You see, if you and I are not on our way to a Christless eternity, if you and I are not on our way to hell and we have been saved by the precious blood of Christ and you are depending in nothing more, nothing less than what he has done, you and I should be rejoicing every single day. At least a day that ends in a Y. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, when you'll catch on soon. Listen, we know, we know the word here refers to one who is blessed or happy. Are you blessed? Are you happy? Is it your circumstances that are changing the way that you look at life? Are you filled with joy no matter what? I remember when my brother passed away. It's, it's hard to believe, but it's almost been 30 years. And we look back and there were people who used to come, who would come up to us and they came up to us at the funeral. They came up to us at the viewing and they said, how, how, how can you still have joy in your life knowing what has just happened? Because our joy is in the Lord. He is our strength. <coughs> and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that it seems like his life has been cut short at only 22. His life was as long as God wanted it to be. It wasn't an accident. It was deliberate. It was on, on purpose. Why? So that Christ would be glorified. Because Christ doesn't care what happens as far as you and I are concerned as to whether we are happy or not. Sometimes he may need to take certain things out of our lives so that we will reflect the joy of the Lord in our hearts. This blessedness that we find here comes from the context of, of those who obey the word of God. These beatitudes, they're instructions for living. They're not commands to fulfill in order to enter the kingdom of God because you and I can't do that. You could fulfill every one of them and you would still be lost. You would still be separated from the holiness of God. With each new beatitude, Christ was reminding them that as true believers, you cannot live a happy or blessed life if you're not following the life principles that he is teaching. You and I cannot claim the name of Christ if, if the way that we live our life doesn't reflect Jesus Christ. Now, there may be times in your life and mine, I know there have been in mine, and I'm sure that if you're human, that you also have gone through this at some point in your life, where you may be going through difficulties and trials, and maybe there are times when you're not growing. Maybe there are times that you're more focused on the world than you are on Jesus Christ. But if you and I, the promise of Scripture is this, that if you and I are a true believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit will conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. It is a guarantee. That means despite the fact that you may have down times, you may have one step forward, five steps back, one step forward, five steps back, or the other way around, it really doesn't matter. Sadly, as humans, though, we can struggle because we want the blessings, but we don't want the responsibilities that go along with that. But God doesn't change the rules. The rules remain the same. 
And this brings us to the words, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Point number two on your handout this morning. The first one was the blessed person. Secondly, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. The word, the word hunger here means to crave ardently, to seek with eager desire. And again, we ask the question, how much do you and I crave God's word? I have shared this with my mom and dad before. One of many things that they actually read on a daily basis is called Our Daily Bread. Anybody here ever read Our Daily Bread? Okay, are you familiar with it? I have affectionately termed this Our Daily Crumb because it's normally just one verse or one solitary verse or maybe even a portion of a verse. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you can't stop there. There has to be more to your time in God's word than that. I've had some people through the years of my ministry tell me, well, I wish I could memorize scripture. I wish I could, I wish I could stand and quote the things like you do. And I tell them all the same thing. You know the reason why you can't? It's because you don't want it bad enough. It's no different than playing the piano. If, 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 if I think it was Paderewski. Anybody know the name Paderewski? Pianist, great pianist. Okay, it's Paderewski, right? Piano player. I believe he also played violin. And the question was asked of him. Somebody said, I sure wish I could play like you. I would give anything to play like you. And at this point, Paderewski was like in his late 70s. And he said, dear lady, he said, you really don't want to play like that. He said, because if you do, you would practice like I do every day. You and I need to be willing to practice. We need to spend time in God's word so much that we know his word. You see, it's not just for pastors. It's for everybody to be able to grow, to be able to learn. We've seen videos and we've, we've even played one here, Lord willing, we're going to play one here in another couple of weeks. But we've seen videos of those who get a copy of the Bible for the first time. We're going to show a video to you of, of a church in China that received Bibles for the first time. It's heartbreaking. To see the inexpressible joy on their faces of being actually, they're fighting over who's actually going to get one in the church. And you and I probably have dozens lying around that are gathering dust. Psalm 107 verse 9 says, For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Do you want to hear God speak to you? How many of you would actually like to hear God speak to you? Open up his word. He said everything that you need to know right here. There's not going to be any additional revelation. The first words apart from the word of God that you ever hear are going to be, you get to stand before him as a believer and he says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. To thirst, not just to hunger. Paul used, or Jesus uses the same word. It's the word that is used in John chapter 4. And it's used in a figurative sense when he is with the woman at the well. Listen to what he says in John 4, 13 and 14. <clears throat> Jesus said to her, 
Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You know, this, this woman, she comes to the well. She comes in the middle of the day. That's not when the women of that culture would come. She's come because she's ashamed of where she's at. She's ashamed of her lifestyle. Jesus tells her, well, go call your husband so he can hear the good news as well. And she says, oh, I'm not married. And he says, no, you're right. He said, you've been married five times and the man you're with now is not even your husband. And what does she do? She goes back to the village and she says, come here, a man that told me everything that I have ever done. Did Jesus actually tell her every single thing that she had ever done? No, he got right to the heart of the issue. He knew what was important to her. It was the relationships, the earthly relationships that she had that were important, that had become a crutch. And he says, no, don't long after those things. Long after Christ. When a person is said to thirst, means they painfully feel their want of something, to eagerly long for those things by which the soul is refreshed, supported, and strengthened. Now, I understand that today that drinking from a water hose hooked up to the outside of your house will kill you. But some of us who are older, remember what it's like to actually drink out of a water hose? Yep, a few of you did. Okay, doesn't look like it's killed you yet. I drank out of them a lot. Hot, especially we live down south. Hot, warm, tepid water. Ugh. But you know what? After you've been playing out on the baseball field for a couple of hours and you come back and you pick up that hose, man, it sure tastes good. Oh, and by the way, we all drank out of the same hose. Just don't tell mom. Listen to what Jesus says in John 6.35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Oh, to have, to have in your life for you and I to be surrounded by people who love God and his word that much, what a difference it would make in our lives. Again, we heard the hymn, the psalmist in the Old Testament wrote in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The word for pants here means to long for water. Hebrew writers actually believe that the word was actually used to describe the lamenting cry of a wild animal when it is searching for water. Anybody here ever seen, and this is not a full endorsement of everything he ever says or the movies or anything like that, but David Attenborough did a series called Planet Earth. Anybody here seen it? Phenomenal videos. And I remember in one of them, they're actually down in the Serengeti, down in the south central part of Africa. And for months now, there's been no rain in, in, in this documentary. There's been no rain. And, and then over the horizon, you begin to see some dark clouds form. And you know, and the commentator says, rain is coming. 
And after a while, you see the animals begin moving through the brush. And there's great big clouds of dust as these great big massive elephants are on the march and there is nothing that is getting on their way. And then the camera stops and there's a couple of splotches of water that fall from the sky and hit the ground. Of course, they do it very dramatic, but this is a place that has had no water for months. You are not getting in the way of those animals when the water falls. This is what the Hebrew writers are saying. They are sending, saying that it is the lamenting cry. These are animals that are parched for the water and you are not getting in their way. Do you and I long for God's word that much? You see, I can't be bothered. It takes too much time, but we've got enough time on average to watch and you can ask this gentleman right over here because of the company that he works for the average home spends five hours a day on the internet or on TV, watching TV. The average home in America. But we don't have time for God. We don't have time for His Word. Does anybody know how long it takes to establish a habit? Okay, not quite. It's 21 days. If you do something at the same time every single day for 21 days, approximately, some people a little bit more, some people maybe a little bit less, you will establish a habit. Listen, you can read God's word every single day for the last five years and you miss one day, you'll miss two and then three and then a week. And before long, you haven't spent any time at all and you keep meaning to, you have good intentions. Why? Because it's not something that you can just train your body to do. You have to engage your mind and say, I'm going to renew my mind to be able to spend time with him. We must ask, do we thirst in such a way that all of the things of the world are meaningless? John Bunyan noted this book, speaking of the Bible, he had this written in the flyleaf of his Bible. This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. It's the only two options you've got. It's the only option I've got. Psalm 63, verse 1. David is in the wilderness of Judah, and he prays this, and he says, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Oh, God, I just have to have you so desperately. But what is he talking about, this righteousness? To hunger and thirst, back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, what is this righteousness that he is speaking about? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake, this is the great exchange. This is probably one of the greatest verses in all of Scripture. This great exchange is Christ taking on what he did not deserve so that you and I could be clothed with what we do not deserve. Listen to this verse. For our sake, he's talking to those of us who have come by faith in Jesus Christ to him, trusting in him alone for salvation. For our sake. He, God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus Christ, we might then become the righteousness of God. 
Now, there's only two types of righteousness this morning that you fall under and that I fall under. Number one is the righteousness of man or the righteousness of God. In the righteousness of man, listen to Psalm 33. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. You know the righteousness that you and I have, what we bring to the table, the only thing we bring is what Isaiah 64, 6 says, filthy rags. That's it. Isaiah writes, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Filthy rags. This is the kind of righteousness that you have. Romans chapter 3, Paul writing to the church in Rome, and he tells them, you live a life that is fully apart from God if you do not have God. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Listen, the world will tell you all day long, hey, listen, you need to build yourself up. You need to have more self-esteem. No, you don't. It is not about having more self-esteem. It is about looking to Christ, who is the author and finisher of our faith, and realize that apart from him, you and I are nothing. We are worth nothing. The righteousness of man. The righteousness of man damns the soul to hell. There are a lot of things that you can put on. There are a lot of things that you can do. There are a lot of things that you can think. But if you are striving to do it apart from Jesus Christ, it is your own righteousness, and your own righteousness will not get you to heaven. But the righteousness of God, well, this is the other standard. You see, there's only been two standards right from the very beginning. There's been the righteousness of man, which is what Adam tried to do when he lived in rebellion to God. Or there's the righteousness of God. These are the only two standards. The world says you can achieve what you want. The world says that you can have whatever you think you need, whatever you desire within your heart. But the Bible, again, is clear that it is found only in Christ. How do you know that you have the righteousness of God in you? For the sake of time, we're not going to look at all of these verses, but I encourage you to write them down. John chapter 15, on the first point, if you have the righteousness of God in you, it will produce fruit, guaranteed. John chapter 15. Here's the simple terms that we need to consider this morning. And if you really want to be serious with yourself, with God, with those that you claim are brothers and sisters in Christ, ask yourself this question. Am I producing fruit? I'm not, I didn't ask you whether you put money in the offering. 
I didn't ask you whether you teach Sunday school class. I, I didn't ask you whether you come to church on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or whenever you come. I, I didn't ask you those things. I said, are you producing fruit? The Bible is very clear. John chapter 15, 1 John, the entire book of 1 John says that if we have no fruit and there is no change in our life that reflects growth in Jesus Christ, then you cannot be a true believer. But yet the Bible is clear that today is the day of salvation. Secondly, not only does it produce fruit, but it produces maturity. Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, said Paul to the church at Colossae, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Did you catch that? Warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom to present the mature in Christ. If you're going to church because of what you can get out of, it, out of it, if you're going to church because you think that the pastor will preach something that will make your ears feel good, you're in the wrong place this morning. And I'm not trying to be cruel in any way. I'm just telling you, I know what it takes for, in not just in my life, but over 30 years of ministry now, I can tell you that those who do not hunger and thirst for righteousness are those who often act dead. We have mentioned this before in some of the other messages, but when you come and, and you call up and you say, listen, can, can I have some counseling or, or I got to ask you a question or whatever it is that's going on in your life and I share with you right from God's word and you say, no, I don't want to hear that. No, I want to do things my way. And then your life continues to fall apart. Do you know what the hardest part about ministry is? It's watching lives fall apart that don't have to fall apart. Thirdly, it produces holiness. The righteousness of Christ means that all believers are no longer alienated from God. Because of what he has done and continues to do, we can strive to live pure, sinless, upright, and holy lives. But do we? No, we don't. Because we do live in a human, we do live in human flesh. It's going to be a struggle every single day, sometimes multiple times a day. I want to challenge you to do something. And I want to set the standard first, because the standard is not Mark Escalera, the standard is Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter 1 says, be holy, for I am holy. That's the standard. So here's the question I want you to ask yourself. This is rhetorical. I don't want anybody to raise their hand. I don't want you to nudge the person sitting beside you. I just want this is between you and God. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he speaks in Matthew chapter 6, he tells his listeners that they are to pray and that they are to seek forgiveness for the sins that are in their life. To ask God to forgive us of our trespasses.
every second, every minute, an hour and day and week and month and year of our life that we do not have Christ preeminent in our life. That's first and only, not just first amongst many, but first and foremost, we are creating and living under idolatry. After all, the standard is Christ, right? The standard is that you and I have to follow Christ to be holy as he is holy. That means if there are areas in our life that we are not looking to Christ, that means that we have an idol in our lives. That means that we have need of coming to Christ every single day and seeking forgiveness from him for our sin. So here's the question. When was the last time that you spent time with God seeking forgiveness from God? Maybe it's been weeks or months or even years. Maybe you don't think you have to come before God. Maybe you don't think you have to seek forgiveness. I can tell you that if you're not willing to do that with God, there's a real good reason why you're not willing to do that with your closest neighbor. And for your, close, your closest neighbor, for most of us, is our spouse. You know, it requires humility. It requires humbling ourselves before God to be willing to go to another person and say, I have done such and such wrong. I have handled this wrong. I have said this wrong. I have whatever. Fill in the blank. And because Christ has forgiven me, I'm coming to you to ask you to forgive me because I have acted or said or spoken or thought or done whatever in such a way that it has affected our relationship. And your response may be, well, you don't know what they've done. You don't know what they've said. You know, I really don't care what they've done or what they've said because that's not the issue. The issue is your relationship with Jesus Christ. More Christians get themselves in trouble because they refuse to forgive than probably anything else. And I would challenge you to remember this, and we have mentioned this before, but there is nothing, 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 nothing that somebody else can do to you. I don't care whether it was your life as a kid or as a teenager or as a young adult or whatever it may be. There is absolutely nothing that somebody else can do to you that is worse than what you and I did in putting Jesus on the cross. You see, you and I, didn't deserve forgiveness, but from the cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You see, this, this is not about living a, such a pious life that we think that we're better than anybody else or that we're better than our spouse or that we're better than our, our workmates or better than whatever it is or whoever is in your life. No, this is about you having such a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who alone saved you from your sin and to remember that because he has saved you from your sin, we therefore have a responsibility to forgive the wrongs that somebody else has done to us. I know the struggles are real. You and I, we all face them every single day. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, 
Paul writes, For God has not called us to impurity, though, but in holiness. 2 Timothy 1.9, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. He saved us, He called us, and He alone will glorify us. Now, does that mean that we look down and we say, well, I'm sorry for the things that you've gone through. I'm sorry for the abuse. I'm sorry for whatever it is that has happened in your life for, for all of maybe all of your entire life. No, we're not seeking to demean any of those things. But listen, we preach Christ because Christ is greater than all of those things that hold you back. Jesus Christ forgives from the uttermost to the guttermost. And if he has forgiven you, he can forgive those who have trespassed against you. Finally, not only does it produce fruit and maturity in Christ, holiness, but it also produces rightness with God. Righteousness is the state acceptable to God which becomes a sinner's possession through that faith by which he embraces the grace of God offered him in the expiatory death of Jesus Christ. That word simply refers to the cleansing of sin. It talks about the removal of guilt. This is one of the reasons why we can come and partake of the Lord's table when we have the Lord's Supper and we gather together as believers. It's because He has not taken just our sin away, but He has taken our guilt from us. We have a zero account with God anymore as far as legally is concerned. In other words, you and I don't owe anything. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Let's conclude this morning with the satisfaction of God. There are several catechisms, and the one that we have here that we have used, it's actually in the bulletin every week. And we're going through the questions, but the very first one is, what is the chief end of man? And the chief end of man, the answer is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. You can call it a creed, you can call it a confession, you can call it a belief system, what, whatever it is, that, that's what the Bible calls us to do. Fear God, keep His commandments, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. But the word to be satisfied means to fulfill, to satisfy the desire, to, to satisfy the longing. Again, Psalm 107, 9, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Here's the question. Is Jesus Christ enough for you today? Is he enough for me? What if, like Job, he took away everything that you owned? What if you lost everything that you had this next week? Your pets, your animals, your spouse, your possessions, and you're left out on the street after a house fire or whatever, and all you're left 
was with what you got in a little plastic bag that's all your possessions, would Jesus still be enough for you? What if he called you to leave all of that aside and go to another country and share the precious truth of the gospel? And you get to the shores of that country and like John Chow who went to the North Sentinel Islands three or four years ago, some of you know his story, never even got to learn the language and within one day of landing on the shores, he had been killed by the islanders. Was Jesus still enough? When those five missionaries went down in 1956 on the banks of the Cure River in Ecuador, leaving their families behind and flying in that little tiny yellow piper, and landed there to be able to deliver to the Waldani or the Alka Indians to deliver them the truth of Jesus Christ, they didn't get to learn the language. They never got to see one person ever come to faith and all five of them, two days later, were in glory. The news all around the world, what a waste, what a shame. Five young lives given for nothing. But Jesus is enough. Because what you don't know maybe is the rest of the story. And that is that many of the Waldani today, there are churches in those jungles in Ecuador and they are singing the praises of God. They don't sing in tune, but they lift their voices up every Sunday, every time they gather to worship and they sing the praises of the one who saved them from their condition. Why? Because Jesus is enough. If you don't believe that Jesus is enough, it's because you're hungering and thirsting for the wrong things this morning. I want to conclude with a quote. These blessings are purchased for us by the righteousness of Christ, conveyed and secured by the imputation of that righteousness to us, and they're confirmed by the faithfulness of God. To have Christ made of God to us righteousness, and to be made the righteousness of God in him, to have the whole man renewed in righteousness so as to become a new man, and to bear the image of God, to have an interest in Christ and the promises of Christ, this, my friend, is biblical righteousness. And it can only come from him. Let's pray. Father, we are... By the words out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, we are called to hunger and thirst after righteousness, for then we shall be satisfied. In a group even as small as this, I know that there are some whose eyes have been set on the world. 
There are times even that my eyes get set on the world and instead of focusing on Christ, we focus on what the world can offer. Father, this morning, I ask that you would speak to hearts. Help us to realize that Jesus Christ is enough and that in him we can be satisfied. Everything we need that pertains to life and godliness is found in your word. and Yet sometimes we can't even be bothered to open it. Help us, Lord, even if we have struggled, forgive us of our sins this morning. Forgive us at, for the times we have not hungered and thirsted for righteousness. Forgive us and set in our hearts a new spirit, spirit that longs for you daily, hourly, Lord, if need be, minute by minute, whatever it takes so that we might become more and more like Jesus Christ. Thank you for the attentiveness of each person here this morning. May they go away from here knowing how great a God we serve, knowing how wonderful our Savior is. Thank you, Lord, for your mighty word and may it continue to do a work as we leave from here today. In Jesus' name, amen. I would invite our...